Hello, I am Jay Goodwin, and you're listening to Pay It Forward. Today on Pay It Forward, we have Kareem Fullerin. Kareem is a storyteller who has years of experience in strategic consulting involving small to large organizations. Those experiences have focused on digital marketing, event marketing, public relations, and branding. He has a proven record of implementing effective marketing campaigns that accelerate progress and positively affect change. So Kareem, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. Of course, Very of course. <laughs> so I always start these off with just like, you know, where are you from and what did you think you would be when you grew up? Mm -hmm. So originally I was you know, born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, you know, I, I am of Nigerian descent, uh, so there was definitely that traditional immigrant push, you know, for me to become uh, a doctor or something in one of those more traditional STEM careers, just given that I have a lot of people in, in who are in, in the healthcare field of my family. And so mm -hmm. um, under that sort of philosophy, it was very much, sorry, their philosophy was very much under the impression of, well, if you go into these fields, they're pretty diverse in their mind of what they thought diversity it meant. And so you won't face much discrimination, like if you go into healthcare, which we all know that to not be the case. Uh, for sure. Uh, but, you know, when I was, um, there's many things, there's many different things I thought I was going to be when I was younger. Like for, at, for a long time, I thought I was going to be a pilot, um, mm. very into aviation. I still am. So I'm definitely the person that will book certain flights just to fly certain aircraft. Like I'd done that a couple of years ago. Okay. I had an opportunity to fly on an Airbus A380, which is like a double decker, uh, it's a double decker, you know, jumbo jet. And it was, um, it was, it was on a flight from Paris back to New York. And I could have gone from Paris back to Toronto simply, <laughs> but because they don't fly those aircrafts to Toronto that often, I was like, well, we're going to book it from, you know, Hey, we're just going to do it that way. And so I yeah. uh, thought I was going to be a pilot. I also at one point thought I'm really into, I'm like a roller coaster enthusiast as well. Mm. So I thought I was going to be, uh, you know, what do you, I guess you, I guess what you would call now like uh, uh, physics or engineer or something, whoever, people that create these, you know, these rides. Yeah. Where when I was a teenager, I was thinking, and like, you know, like a much younger too, I, I was just more into the design aspect of it. So I would play like these games, like, you know, like the traditional roller coaster tycoon. Uh, there was also another program called No Limits and stuff. And then I, I think when I was, when I got to high school, I was like, okay, so this roller coaster thing, like, what does it actually take to become? to become like that job, people that actually designed that. And I realized it's not as artistic as you know, <laughs> it definitely seemed. It's not just building. It's a lot more of, uh, for sure, you know, there's a lot more science that goes into it and physics yeah. that goes into it. And that kind of just put me off. So uh, yeah, then um, I went into, when I was in university, I kind of um, went on a different career path uh, altogether, but yeah, that's kind of a bit of a snapshot. Oh, and I'll also say I was in performing arts high school. So I also thought I was going to be um, on Broadway. That still may happen. You never know. Yeah, you, you <laughs> never I, know. Uh, you never, yeah, you never know. That was something I definitely uh, was, you know, and I still am very interested in. Um, but yeah, life definitely has a different way of taking you under different paths, restored. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, as someone who 
and I, I don't like using the word hate, but I strongly dislike roller coasters. Like mm -hmm. it's, I never had that, like that itch, you know what I mean? Like where some people like they love the rush and all that stuff. I am absolutely the opposite. Yeah. Like what, uh, what kind of drew you to like, because I mean, I feel like people that like roller coasters, not all the time are they like, I want to create roller coasters. You know what I mean? Like, was there something specifically about it that you were like, I want to be the person who makes these? Yeah. I mean, I think thinking back and to be honest, a lot of the, I'm thinking, I'm thinking back about a lot of these things for the first time. So bear with me. <laughs> no, no, That's why I like asking them. Yeah. But I think in, when it came to roller coasters, you know, when I was younger, um, we used to go to this amusement park. It's probably the largest amusement park here in, in Canada. It's called Canada's Wonderland. It's owned by uh, Cedar Fair, which owns Cedar Point and all those, uh, I think, like all those other parks across the U.S. And so it was always like, uh, you know, it was always the thing to do when you when you're young, like, oh, let's just go to Canada's Wonderland. Or, you know, you buy a season pass, you spend the whole summer there uh, just just going on rides all the time. And then I remember also there was uh, back in the days when people actually used to rent videos, like in the days of Blockbuster and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember renting a, a video for a video from a public library called uh here comes a roller coaster they had like it was the whole they had a whole series called you know here comes a whatever here comes a pilot here comes a whatever what, ha what have you and so they had in this case here comes a roller coaster and it was a video of uh i don't even know what it was it was just some sort of like informational video of like you know introducing roller coasters and i became fascinated at that time and so then I kind of got into the video game aspect of it as well, where it's like I would play again, like those simulation things like Roller Coaster, roller coaster Tycoon. Mm -hmm. And then there was a more advanced version that was also really popular, I guess, in that community, which was a program called No Limits, which was actually more professional level in terms of the design software that they had actually used to build these uh, these amusement attractions before they actually go into the engineering aspect of it. So it's like, it's more of a modeling program. And so that is where I think the, uh, you know, the, the passion for it has definitely, that's where I think it started and where it still continues. Like I would be that person that would go to a specific city just to ride a certain ride <laughs> or something like that, or, um, I will buy it. I'm the type of person that will buy a fast lane pass or something just so I can skip the lines and ride it multiple times. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really where it's come from, but it's been sad. It's been with COVID and everything. Uh, the experience economy has been shut down. And so I haven't been on to an amusement park since like 2019, which in my mind is a long time, yeah. but if you ask the average person, they're like, yeah, I haven't been to an amusement park in like five years. And it's <laughs> It's like not a big deal, right? So no, I was gonna say like you going to a different city to ride a specific roller coaster doesn't sound out of the question, given that you flew into New York just to be yeah, on a specific plane. That. I felt like that makes sense. And I'm actually really happy that I actually did take that opportunity to uh, take that flight because, given that you know, there's given the push for the for, you know for uh, sustainability and things like that, mm -hmm. you're finding now that. Um, 
many of these airlines are actually preferring to use smaller aircraft. So they're actually retiring the larger planes. Mm -hmm. And so that plane, I believe, has been discontinued or not in service with many airlines now. So it was it was worth it. And that was back in like 2018. So I'm yeah. really glad that yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the good thing about the good thing about that, too, is um, back in the early 2000s, I saw they had like uh, aviation book fair. And so they introduced the Airbus A380 at that time. And this is like the early, early 2000s. And I remember it was like a concept plane. It actually wasn't really a thing at the time. Hmm. And so it obviously went into into service, but I just never had an opportunity to ever you know fly it because it just doesn't really fly north north american routes so when i saw that i just could not pass it up yeah <laughs> not at all <laughs> yeah absolutely um and one of the other things you mentioned was performing arts high school so um and you mentioned broadway specifically so i take it you were interested in theater were you yeah i mean it wasn't it wasn't necessarily in that in that uh in that order so it was more so when I was in the sixth grade, I was like part of uh, as part of our dance team, mm. and so uh, from there, it was like I kind of that was kind of my first real involvement and introduction to the arts. And then um, from being on our dance team, I kind of went into you know traditional dance lessons. Um, then in middle school, I was part of like an African drumming club, uh, and it was uh, yeah, it was part of our music program. And so we had like a um, so yeah, that was the situation. And then I remember when I was in the eighth grade and we were all kind of selecting our high schools and whatnot, I remember my music teacher recommended, she was like, oh, she notices that I'm on like, the, I've, you know, I've been in the part of the dance team. I've been part of this, uh, you know, this African drumming club. Have you ever heard of this school called Wexford? And it's like a big performing arts high school in Toronto. And I had no idea. It never, it's never on my radar. I'd never heard of it. And so I went to try it out, check it out, went for an audition and everything like that. Uh, it opened my eyes. That was kind of where I was first really exposed to music theater, just in that whole audition process of having to, you know, there was a, I remember just thinking back, there was a, uh, a monologue that you had to practice. You had to practice like a, a certain length of uh, vocal performance as well. And there was also like a dance audition. So three different components. Mm -hmm. And um, it was from after doing all of that, that, you know, I, ended up getting in obviously. And then afterwards, uh, that kind of took me on a whole different journey where I was just, it was a whole different exposure that I just didn't really know existed. Obviously I had heard of like, you know, the Lion King and et cetera, a bunch of stuff when I was younger, but not to that same capacity. So it was a very eye-opening thing. And I still have many, you know, friends that are still in that, who are in that industry and stuff like that. So I still have to go and support them, but, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely like uh, high school was very much like fame. A lot of people on TV shows and being pulled out of school to audition for various things on Nickelodeon and whatnot. So and Degrassi, there was a lot of people on Degrassi, given that it was shot in Toronto and they just recruited a lot of people from our school. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's pretty sweet. That's a that's a very at least from my perspective, unique high school experience. It's a weird experience, though, I will say. Yeah. Yeah, just because uh, most people that I know that, I, the friends that I had that went to just like traditional high school, like their experiences were definitely more of what you see on TV as mm -hmm. far as being like in a very clicky school or whatever. But it was a very unique experience in that sense that half of your school is 
day was academics, half of it was just performing and rehearsals and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I know right now you're at Iris Pricing Solutions, mm -hmm. um, where you are marketing lead. So, um, and you can go as deep as you want, but can you mm -hmm. just sort of give me a, an overview of, of what Pricing Solution does and kind of how you fit into the, the, the big picture? For sure. So at Pricing Solutions, you know, we're, uh, we're a global uh, marketing, sorry, we're a global management consulting firm. And so we do stuff uh, similar to, you know, the typical big four, like Deloitte's, the Baines, the Simon Kutcher's, et cetera. However, what makes us unique and where our areas, our area of focus is a bit different compared to those other firms is we focus specifically just on pricing and pricing only. And so typically it's the situation whereby, you know, you may have a company, an organization, an association, a university, who, whoever, and they might have a pricing need or, you know, a bit of a, a pricing thing, strategy that they need to, you know, whether it's to improve or rectify, or they've been seeing a lot of, you know, uh, decrease in membership, for example, when some of our projects with associations and they're looking at ways to, you know, increase membership retention and also look for revenue growth. And so we kind of just have, we're, you know, an office full of just consultants who have tons of experience in that space. It's many, one of those spaces that's such a niche that many people just don't really know what that means. Yeah. Um, and so where I kind of fit into it is I kind of work more so on the back end and in terms of bringing in and attracting new business opportunities and, uh, you know, working on our overall branding and, and vision and also aligning that with Iris at large as well. to just kind of have that, you know, cohesiveness between the two. Um, so yeah, it's been a good opportunity. It's been, it's been a really, uh, it's been a learning curve for sure in terms of the exposure and things like that, just because again, prior to uh, joining the team, I was working in a variety of marketing as well, but just a variety of other industries, which, you know, similar, similar day to day, but the industries were so like, couldn't have been more different. Uh, so again, it's been, it's been a, it's been a really great ride so far. So we'll come back to some of those other industries, but, um, remind me again, like, um, when did you start in this position? Yeah. So at this point, I think today actually marks exactly nine months. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like last, last summer, last summer, Yeah. but it's felt like much, much longer to be quite honest. Cause I feel like the, 2020 going into 2021 just felt like the longest year yeah i mean i was thinking the other day like it's already i was thinking it's already may and then now it's almost <laughs> almost already june it's just yeah. crazy to think about but so you started during pandemic during mm -hmm. um you know lockdown those sorts of things so how was your sort of um experience like you know just onboarding to um, not a different industry, but maybe a different industry, like, you know, yeah. and a new team and everything. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting just because at the time when I was even beginning to look, this was, uh, so this was like peak summer, uh, peak all the, you know, the social uprising movements as well. This is July or so. And it was just a bit of a, it was a weird time. I remember the energy, just thinking back to that time, it was very, just like an, it was just a very odd time, like, I don't know. And uh, so, you know, moving into um, onboarding, it was different, obviously. I never had started remotely. Um, that was new. Uh, 
And so I had to, the only times, I still haven't met most of our team. I've only met a couple people um, in person actually. And that was just simply to go meet in the office. Uh, that was actually during the interview process. Um, and also just when it came to uh, getting on board or getting a laptop, all of that stuff, getting set up for working from home. And so it's been, it's been a, a different experience for sure in terms of just again, feeling, building those relationships, feeling those bonds with your team. I think that's something that I've had to, we've had to work ways to kind of create that, not just for myself, but but everyone else who's also started after me, who, yeah. you know, we're still very much working remotely. And so we've had quite a few, few, uh, few people join the team. And so we've been looking at ways to see how we can better create those bonds, whether it's through team building exercises, again, because with consulting in, in particular, you're typically often on the road or, you know, many of them are actually, many of our people on our team are usually traveling for like a good portion of the, each week. And I think in some ways that's definitely been a complete, obviously a drastic change given, given the nature of things. And, you know, I know our team are definitely, we're, we're uh, definitely all kind of feeling a bit of zoom fatigue for sure. But yeah, yeah it's uh it's been different. That's all I can say. It hasn't been bad or anything like that, but it's just a different. And I think, you you know, in some years, you'll definitely be talking about that time when, you know, you were working from home for like over a year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely come back to the Zoom fatigue thing. But I wanted to ask, like, um, you know, do you think that any of the team building exercises that you guys have done have been particularly effective or enjoyable? Um, or just fun? Yeah, so I so I tried to, we tried to do that, you know, I, um, so I actually um, oversee, we have like a, a, like a lunch and learn uh, process that we usually do every week where we kind of just have these checkpoints with the team where we'll just sort of just check in, see how everyone's doing, maybe uh, do a bit of a team building exercise or even if just learn about a certain, you know, client uh, case study or project. And so typically what I've found is when we do kind of have the more informal conversations, you get to know, for me, it's a nice way to get to know people more on a bit more of a less serious note. You kind of get to understand people in terms of you learn more about their families, their backgrounds, a bit more of their personality as opposed to what you see in a typical, um, you know, day-to-day -day meeting. Yeah. And so I think in many ways, we actually we actually did have a bit of a check-in maybe back in March where I said, you know, it's been about a year or so now that we've been in the pandemic. How's everyone finding, you know, working remotely? Um, what are some of the pros that you guys find or things that you like about it? And what are some of the things that has been a bit of a challenge? So it was nice to kind of, it was interesting actually, I would say to just hear, go around across everybody and kind of hear what people have been liking and what people have also been struggling with, whether it be personal or also just whether it be, um, you know, when it comes to just working. Um, and I definitely will say that a lot of, we kind of said afterwards that everyone really, really, everyone really enjoyed that session. It was something we hadn't done before. And I think in many ways, especially for those of us, again, who had started remotely, we got to know more of uh, our teams a little bit stronger. So. Yeah, it's uh, we continue to try and do that where we can. We try to do some contests. We did like a fitness contest. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago. You know, how many steps can you get in? You know, in a given week and things like that. So it's still a bit of a we're we're adapting, is what I can really say. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, whatever works. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier about like just zoom fatigue and that sort of thing. So I wanted to ask like, you know, has your team done anything in particular that you think has been useful about like, just, just, you know, kind of combating that. But before you answer that, I guess I should step back and just ask like, you know, how has like just working remote and being on zoom and that sort of thing affected your team? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm asking, I guess the context also is like, as someone who started remote, like, you know, have you noticed that certain meetings are like taking on a different sort of, uh, I don't know, purpose and things like that has, has the way that you interact, I guess, changed, um, you know, and then if you can, if you want to tie that into Zoom fatigue, however that works, those might be two separate questions. For sure. I think uh, one of the things that, one of the things that's definitely different is uh, things don't always feel as organic in, in, in conversation. So a lot of the, one of the things that we kind of discussed as a team was that was missing all of those informal or, or just quick question kind of conversations has to be scheduled into a time slot. Yeah. And so typically what happens is when, you know, if I have a meeting for and I book it for 12 from let's say 12 to 1230, usually myself or whoever is the organizer of the meeting will kind of uh, have some talking points. So everyone kind of comes with what they need to talk about, but as a result, you kind of maybe lose a bit of that informal uh organic natural conversation because it's like i'm i'm here i know you have like another meeting afterwards so i'm just gonna talk to you get straight to the point mm -hmm. uh for 30 minutes or so and so i think that is something that is a bit different and a bit odd and the way it kind of leads into zoom fatigue really is um again everything needs to be a meeting a lot i mean we do kind of encourage people to also just pick up the phone if you need to get like a quick answer so i or, uh, and obviously, you know, there still is email, but it's like um, sometimes you'll I'll have a day whereby I'll have a meeting for from 12 to 1230. Then there's like a 30 minute free window. Then there's like another Zoom meeting again from like one to two. And it doesn't leave much time like that 30 minute window does not leave a, a lot of time for you to actually really sit down and focus and get things done, mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, if that pr prior meeting goes over. Um, and so, yeah, also it's just a lot more talking I find that you have to do, um, compared to like when, you know, being in like a previous office environment, I think that's something that is, uh, it's just very different. And so we're trying to find ways to maybe combat that such as, you know, um, like I will only try and schedule a zoom meeting if we really, really need to do that. But if not, then. <laughs> I'll really try and push it into just like having an email or again, maybe a phone call, or even if we have one of those large, sometimes I'll address us another question in like another meeting where I know there's going to be more people mm -hmm. as opposed to creating like, you know, these smaller individual ones. Um, Cause it can get really repetitive. Yeah. And explaining the same thing over and over again. Over and over. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned like having like the little small meetings and then like the little 30 minutes where you're like, mm -hmm. I know I can't, I've got five things on my to-do list and I know that they're all going to take me an hour. <laughs> like these 30 minutes, I can chip away at it, but I, I get what you're saying. And I'm actually working on a project now where we're kind of looking at this concept of flow mm -hmm. and it's like, 
you need the time to get into something and like, you know, be able to focus and, and zone every, like just kind of zone out and just crank it out. Right. And you can't do that when you're stopping starting. So that's, that's interesting that you brought that up. So, okay. I want to talk a little bit about career path and mm-hmm. just how you got to where you are now. So I want to flash back to college mm-hmm. and I know you went to McMaster university. Yeah. And by the time you left there, you had a BA in sociology and economics and also a bachelor of business administration. So first of all, how did you land on those (laughs) degree programs? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, school university was, that was a time (laughs) That, (laughs) that was a journey. Like that was a complete, it was a complete journey. So Oh, it kind of, it even starts, it starts really like in the 12th grade, like when I, when it came to just thinking about what to go to school for. Yeah. And I was going to say, especially coming from a performing arts high school, Yeah, so I think it, what was the yeah, pressure there, you know? For sure. Uh, so when I was in performing arts, um, with the way that, you know, the entertainment industry is and everything like that, I think by the time many of my friends and I, you know, got to uh, our final year, uh, it's like you kind of, in some ways, you can kind of get a little, what's the right word? I don't know. I think there's, there's start, you start to see like aspects of the, of, the, of the industry that you don't necessarily like. I think it was more like I got to, like, for me, it was more like I got to, you know, the 12th grade and I was like, okay, do I actually see myself doing this, you know, as like a full-time career and many times, especially many at the program that we were in, there's a lot of politics that kind of go into casting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so for some people, me, myself being one of them, I think some of us got a bit put off to it at the time. And, and mind you, also you're in, you're like 17, 16. So it's like, you kind of still don't necessarily know what you want to do at that time. Um, and so what happened was I, um, I also liked a lot of, I liked a bit of science. Uh, not enough to become like, you know, a roller coaster engineer, <laughs> like but I did like a bit of science yeah. and I also did a bit of, uh, so initially what happened was I actually went into neuroscience. Okay. And that's kind of what I started with. Part of it was also because when I was looking at programs, my parents were really trying to push me into that medical field. And mm-hmm. I just, we had a lot of arguments about that, uh, just cause it was just not going to happen. <laughs> It was just not going to happen. And so with neuroscience, I think in some ways it was kind of, uh, okay, this is a bit of a balance because there's a bit of a social aspect to it as well as the science component. So it's not so medically or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so that was the situation. Then I, so I was in that program. It was interesting. I liked a lot of the courses I have. Some still, some of my best classes that I enjoyed were in that program. Uh, but then I got into like, you know, second year, towards the end of my second year. And I was just kind of like, okay, I would ask like my, it was one of those things where we had like a bit of, I had a placement um, at a facility and I remember the placement experience, it wasn't like horrible or anything like that. But once you're kind of out of the classroom and actually, you know, maybe shadowing someone, it was one of those situations where I was like, I don't see myself doing this like waking up every day to come and work in a hospital or a clinic or that's just not the life that I really see for myself. And I remember also asking a lot of people at the time, like my classmates, uh, so like, what do you guys want to do? Like after, uh, 
after giving him graduate, you know, kind of just like casually ask those questions and like nobody would never, no one would know. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a great nobody, sign for a program. <laughs> yeah. Like most people in my program would not know. There was a lot of people who were like, oh, they want to, you know, go all the way to like a PhD and, you know, become like an actual licensed psychologist. Uh, and like, I guess in some ways there was no one really in my environment that if they did know what they wanted to do, really kind of uh, aligned with what I saw for myself. Mm. And so I was like, okay, um, maybe I need to take some time off. So I took like a year off school to just kind of, you know, see what I like, just work a bit. Um, and so I came back and kind of switched into, uh, what's it called? So I was majoring in economics and sociology because mm -hmm. uh, I liked a lot of the social science courses as well, but I also liked, you know, I kind of was thinking, okay, maybe I'll go into, I kind of was thinking, okay, at that time, I think I might want to go into like the business world or something adjacent to that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, let me just kind of take the right uh, courses and et cetera, et cetera. And so where the, so that was where, how I got into sociology and economics. And then when I got into my, I think at my end of my third year, when I came back, I was speaking with an academic advisor and, you know, we were kind of just going through what life looked like out once you graduate. And then, so she kind of recommended to me at the time, she's like, Hey, if you want to make yourself a bit more marketable, what we have like a, I don't know what you call it, like a bridging program where you can kind of, if you take like an extra amount of credits, you can kind of do like a double degree. Mm. So basically I, for the last two years of school, I did summer school to kind of, take some extra credits. Um, and then they're all, and the, those credits were all like in, in like the commerce programs and the business programs. And so gotcha. from that, it, when I came out of, out of university to her point, I was just a bit more marketable for the field that I was going into, given that I was not someone that had, that started school with a traditional business degree. Right. Right. So that's where that came in handy. So that's a bit of a long story, but that's just kind of like how, uh, that's how the education part, you know, that's the education part of it. Yeah. The career aspect after that kind of was, again, <laughs> a variety of things. Yeah. Well, well, I, honestly, I, I see a lot of parallels between the two of us in, in yeah. that way, because like, so my dad's a nurse practitioner and I thought I was going to do med school. I did two years pre-med, like I was an anthropology major, you were sociology. So there's like, yeah. you know, some overlap there. I took a year off after I graduated undergrad before I went back for communications, but I wanted to ask, so in this gap year, like you said, you, after the gap year, you kind of came back and you, you pretty much knew economic sociology. Those were things you're interested in. Um, and then you said, but you're also thinking that business might be, be something you saw yourself doing or, you know, some, some, somewhere in there, what sparked that, the, the business idea for you? Because like, I, I get where you're coming from with the economics and sociology. I think that makes sense based on what you've told me so far. I'm just like, where did, where did the idea for the business kind of come in? Like, was that, you know, you talked to somebody, you saw something, like, where'd that, where'd that originate for you? Yeah. So I think it was like two things. So um, the first thing is I actually had a couple of friends in school who were in, you know, business programs. So I kind of had that exposure in terms of what they were doing, et cetera. And then I think also on a more superficial level, I was like, okay, I think I want to go into the, you know, business world, the corporate world, et cetera, et cetera. I want like, you know, I want to work downtown and 
like yeah. out of skyscraper. But it was a, ma- it, was a ma- it was a matter of me finding within because obviously business is very broad, mm-hmm. right? That could be like accounting, that could be finance, whatever. And so I was looking. I said, okay, let's look into uh, you know the business world and see what actual uh, sectors within that appeal to me. Yeah, and um, and that's kind of like how I was sort of introduced into uh, into marketing in that sense, where it was like, okay. This is an aspect of the business world that actually that you know seems really interesting. I ended up taking some courses in marketing also, and those were like my some of my most interesting business courses, uh, and those are also some of my highest like like you know performing classes that I've had throughout just university in general. And I was yeah. like, okay, there might be something to this. Let's explore this a bit more. Um, and then that's kind of how from there. I kind of went into some internships and that's sort of like how it kind of solidified the interest for me. And I was like, okay, let's continue to continue to explore this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like if I looked at a list of like just disciplines within a business school and you look at, like you said, accounting, you got finance, you got supply chain operations, like <laughs> that's not like you, can, you just, Cross them off, cross them off. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was like, you know, because again, I still have that creative aspect of me from like, you know, being in the performing arts, whatever. Yeah. And so I remember when I was transferring, because you have to transfer all of your credits. And so there was certain courses. I remember I had to take I had to take calculus in like my third year. And I had not really done dealt with heavy math since like high school at that point, just because mm-hmm. I was in an neuroscience program. So it wasn't really like we weren't doing like all that kind of calculus all the time. And so I remember just being in that, in that class and being like, wow, I haven't seen this material in such a long time. <laughs> like going back to like seeing if I could find some old notes. It was a, uh, that was an experience. And that's when I was like, okay, yeah, I, the whole finance thing, like, I don't know if I really want to go into anything that deals with crazy, crazy amounts of numbers. Yeah. Cause uh, also it just seemed a bit boring to me to be quite honest. It was very, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> it just seemed really like, you know, just like very boring. So, yeah, I, I, I took calculus like my, it was either junior year, second semester, or like first semester, senior year. And I took it again freshman year in college. And I still was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> like it had, it had already left my mind. Um, have you ever considered doing something um, where you could do sociology or economics in like an academic capacity? Yeah, I, I would say so. So like for, I really, I'm, I'm really, you know, grateful that I actually, like, I don't regret that I majored in, in those, in those, in those uh, disciplines for sure, especially in sociology, because I do think on a holistic level, it definitely, it, it really informs the way I think yeah. about a lot of things now and just since, um, especially with analyzing, you know, certain things in the world and structures. And I think in many ways, that's kind of when I, that exposure was kind of when I grew up in a sense, where I kind of went from being in high school, very sheltered, not sheltered, but, you know, you have that youthful innocence of just not really knowing what's going on in the world. And so I think in many ways, when I got into, into that, it kind of really opened my eyes. Um, and so within those disciplines, for sure, the, especially with sociology, they do, there is definitely the, the goal really is to kind of take it all the way to like a PhD level. That's really what is usually encouraged. That's what a lot of professors would talk about. 
And that's typically what it's designed for. And so um, I did for a bit of time do a bit of research as like a research, uh, you know, research intern within the school. Um, and I remember when I had like a political science class one time and my professor was like, you know, she's like, the social, the, she's like, social sciences are really designed for you to be basically go into academia. Yeah. <laughs> the goal of, she's like, the goal of social science is to go into academia. Uh, and so it was, which is a nice message to kind of hear, but I was already like in my senior year at that point. But if I had heard that maybe when I was in like, you know, a freshman in school, I think, I think it might have had a different impact. But by that point, I kind of already knew it was like, yeah, this is, oh God, this is, I, I know that. Yeah. Um, but as far as going into academia, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I like doing research too. Like I like doing research and I enjoyed, there's some papers that I wrote, you know, while I was in, in undergrad that I definitely enjoyed the writing process and the research process of it. But to go into academia, I don't know about, about that. There's a whole lot of other stuff that comes along with it. Yeah. But, it's a whole thing. No, yeah. I, I keep flirting with this idea that, you know, maybe, maybe in 10 years, 15 years, I turn 35, 40, maybe I'll think about it just because mm -hmm. like, when I look back, like anthropology had such a big effect on me. Um, and I was, I was a geography minor and like I had this professor, Dr. Carr, who, sorry, Ed, who I literally talked to Monday. The reason I say Ed is because he's always like, dude, just call me Ed. Like you're not a student anymore. <laughs> but like, yeah. um, I had him my freshman year and like he has dual PhDs in anthropology and geography. And I was an anthropology major, geography minor. So I was like, he was my guy. And I keep, I keep flirting with this idea that maybe I'll go back someday, get my PhD and I'll, I'll just like teach once I'm like, once I get to the point in my career where I'm like, I could go, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm, I'm not at that point cause I have so much to learn and to do, but I feel like I'll get to a point where I'm like, eh, you know, I I'll try something new. And, um, actually I didn't, I didn't plan this, I promise. But like, I have these two books over here, uh, that I'm, I haven't started the second one, but the first one is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. And so this is like my anthropology degree. <laughs> so I'm like rereading it cause I forgot a lot of stuff. And then I looked up like must read sociology books, like maybe like a month or two ago. Yeah. And this one was on there thinking in systems by Danella Meadows which I haven't started yet, but I took one sociology class in undergrad and I'm a very firm believer that like, it has a place in like common core, like curriculum, you know I mean? Like the classes mm -hmm. everybody has to take. I just feel like, like you said, it teaches you so much about the world and how stuff actually works. You know, like there's a lot of problems that we have, but like they didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like pulling like back the layers. It's true. It's because it, I think it definitely has informed my way, my way of way I kind of look at, you know, politics, uh, uh, you know, whether it's racial issues, uh, so many different things, how this pandemics are being managed, like everything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going, but, you know, there, who knows, I may, I might consider to go back and, and go into academia. Like I have a friend that is a, she's a researcher at Duke University. Mm. And so she's, that's, that's super academia as you, as you can get. <laughs> and so, but she, she describes it. She's like, Hey, I get paid to basically, you know, find things out. And if I don't find, if it's, if I find something and there's a mistake, it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, go fix it. 
like she, she just has to go do some more research yeah. what she does like you know so yeah yeah um so earlier we we talked very briefly about um your role as a marketing lead so um i wanted to ask you if you could think back and kind of walk me through um just the the general path your career has taken from and I'm, I'm gonna like show how much I was stalking you, but from a PR influencer, uh, marketing to a marketing coordinator, to social media manager, executive assistant, digital communications manager to marketing. Now, like that's a lot Like you, <laughs> you've gone, like, like you said earlier, I think you uh, mentioned like a variety of industries and it's also like a variety of like job titles and like mm-hmm. assignments, you know what I mean? So, um, I don't, the order is up to you, but just kind of walk me through like, you know, where you've been and some of the things you've picked up along the way. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, my, the, uh, what, the experiences that I've had, they've all kind of been marketing related, which is yeah. a good thing in the sense that I've been able to really harness certain skills or certain experiences from the various, you know, industries and kind of, they really help with, I think when I got, when I got to Iris, it actually was a situation where I was like, okay, everything I've done prior to this has really prepared me for this role. Mm. Um, and so initially you, I think you mentioned, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the PR influencer. Yeah. That was an interesting situation. That was like back in, that was back in like my, I think my, um, I think that was back in my junior year. Yeah. My back in my junior year. And, I was, uh, this is at a time when I actually liked apps like Instagram. And so, <laughs> and so I was approached by a brand to do like a bit of uh, like, you know, like influencer marketing and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so from there, I kind of built a relationship with them and was doing some stuff. This is back in like 2016 or so. And um, that's kind of where that, you know, it was a bit of a nice little experience, a little bit of exposure. And also because when I was in my um, in my junior and senior year of university, I was also part of like we had a we had I was also part of a few marketing clubs within like you know within uh, like with, like you know student clubs, as well as this um, as well as this uh, you know charity organization that we had called Style at Mac, which was a, basically a, a student run. I mean not student run. It was a university run like. Uh, fashion charity organization and so we would kind of put together um you know annual fashion shows and stuff like that that we would raise the money for charity and give it to local hospitals or you know whatever whatever the initiative was that year yeah and so these were all kind of happening at the same time and there was an aspect of influencer marketing even when we were running some of those um stuff with the university um and so i think that experience with doing it with the uh, the the fashion retailer that I was doing it on on the other end kind of really played a, a nice role. Um, then from there, it was like when I was done school, and I'm, actually no, in my, in my uh, again back in my senior my junior year, the sorry senior year in the summer leading up to that, I kind of had a, an internship with the university, which turned into a paid position. Nice. So that was nice. It was nice exposure. It was just like, that's where the marketing coordinator thing came in. 
And so it was a deal, it dealt with, again, with a lot of stuff where we were working alongside that charity that I was mentioning before, mm -hmm. and uh, also kind of exposed to some certain things within academia. And I think in some ways that's where I realized, yeah, academia is just gonna be for me. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. That you, even though like my role was not having anything to do with ac like, you know, like uh, criminology department specifically or something like that, you're very much adjacent or kind of like in that environment where it's like you're walking around the campus, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I can't see this until you're what, 80? Like it's just not. <laughs> you can project that far out. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of professors that you have that are on like a tenure, you know, they're there for like until they retire. Yeah. And yeah, like that's just, that's just not for, that was not going to be for me. And so um, after that, I kind of went into, you know, that's where I went into yeah, executive assistant, that was in PR. Um, that was a really turning, uh, almost like a, a turning point where it was like, I kind of was exposed to something completely different. So going from academia to now, you know, you're in PR, which is completely different, just like events. We did stuff for Microsoft and things for concerts, London School of Fashion, all of the clients that we had in that space too were a wide variety, very similar to kind of what is the clients I find that are at Iris. Yeah. So whereby you have some clients in all different industries. Um, so that was, you know, again, great opportunity, got to be in New York for a bit. So it was nice to kind of be removed. Um, then prior to Iris, I was also working um, right before that I was working in dentistry. And again, I was working on the back end, on the marketing back end, so again, similar skill sets, but you're just applying them very differently. And that is always the one when I have had conversations about career path, people are just like, that seems so random because they're like dentistry. And uh, it's like, yeah, it's like I was there, we were, we would film surgeries a lot and it was dental implants. So it was not cosmetic. It's like people who need major restoratives. Yeah. We're putting people under anesthesia like that kind of yeah or this is stuff. not elective <laughs> yeah exactly and so we would uh i would often come in there all the time and wear my scrubs and that kind of did give me exposure to that medical environment again back yeah. that you know the parents wanted um and uh yeah no it's like i would you i would do we would record and film all these daily surgeries and procedures and use some of those uh clips for uh marketing materials you know we had some educational stuff as well because dentists typically they have to get their uh, their skill sets accredited i think like every couple or or so years something of that sort and so yeah all of those though they were very all very different um but i do think when i got to iris again that they really did help uh they helped a lot because a lot of what i do now has an aspect of like every one of those things and so it's really you know being like for example having a bit of a video background with like dentistry really serves well with iris because i do have to utilize that sometimes those skills um the you know pr kind of aspect of it comes in really handy when it comes to like writing like press releases even within our company or newsletters or um creating like a pitch or even just within with client engagement. Cause in, when I was in PR, you're often speaking again to clients and stuff like that. I think I learned the most when it came to like um, email etiquette mm. working in PR, just because you were writing emails so many times to 
you know, variety of media outlets. And that's also kind of where I learned a lot about relationship building because uh, NPR, we would often, you know, you you're engaging with the press or media outlets to get like features and, and, you know, you try to do that in a really organic way. And so, um, yeah, that that was something. And then obviously the other ones I've had, the other experiences before with like influencer marketing, it helps a lot because that's, those are like social media, very social media specific. And so when we're doing things that are very social media specific on our end now at Iris Price and Solutions, it does come in really handy as well too. So yeah. Yeah. Very interesting journey for sure. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I get, I get what you're saying because like, if you look at, you know, sort of the, the whole of all the stuff you've done, like mm-hmm. to me, that, that tells me that you probably have a very flexible approach to solving problems. Like, and, and what I mean by that is like, take someone who's only worked in, um, I don't know, uh, fast moving consumer goods, right? Like you have a very specific like view of how to do what you need to do, right? Whereas, you know, you probably have five different other ways we could, you know, do the same yeah. task. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and to your point about uh, the dentistry job feeling random, so I get, I I can I I feel like when you're talking about choosing to leave uh, the university position, I feel like I could see you walking on campus and like looking around and being like, "Nah, this is not it." Mm-hmm. So like, from from working in PR specifically, what what sort of prompted you to take that move to to go to the the dentistry position? Yeah. So with marketing position, sorry. Yeah. With that move, it was, um, there was, I had a friend who worked at the company at the time. And so she had told me that there was an opening, they were looking for like a new marketing person. They're actually were looking to really, um, they, they had, they had not really made like a lot of key investments in marketing Mm -hmm. because they kind of had run on the, their business model at the time was very much, you know, we have been, the Beyonce of the of the dental industry in Toronto for years and years and years and years, and we have a, such a you know a huge re- recurring client base. Mm-hmm. But they're also they were also at the time where it's like okay, a lot of people, a lot of our colleagues in the industry, they're all kind of reaching the age of retirement, and so how do we still sort of stay relevant? Uh, how do we uh, attract younger consumers? How do we attract younger dentists to? attend some of our educational, uh, you know, some of our educational programs that we have and stuff like that. And so that's kind of where that came about. Yeah. And so it was actually a situation where I didn't really apply for that position. I kind of was just maybe approached and just had a couple of conversations. That's really what it was. It was just like, they were kind of talking to me, hey, this is something we're kind of thinking about doing. Uh, this is a bit of the story of our company and sort of what we're seeing now within the industry with, mm-hmm. you know, people retiring and other, um, facilities getting bought out by corporates. And so that's kind of where that opportunity was established. And I was like, at that time, I was like, okay, I wouldn't mind trying something new. I also had like a friend that I knew who worked there. So there's that familiarity as well. And so I kind of just said, hey, why, why not? Why not? And so let me just try something completely different. Yeah. I was at the time too, you know, I was like, I'm not that far out of school. There's, let's not be married to any position at this point. So let's just try something new. And I always like to kind of um, be adaptable. That's something I'll kind of say like as a reoccurring theme. I like to kind of have, uh, you know, 
kind of have a lot of different experiences in a variety of different industries because I do think they kind of just again like they they they've definitely helped in terms of what you learn along the way as opposed to you know if I were to have gone to school to become a nurse which I have a lot of nurses in my family that's such a very specific skill set but it's so industry specific where it's like if you ever wanted to pivot it's not like you can't do it it's just a bit more complicated you, there's a lot more the skills are they are transferable but you have to figure out how so just because yeah. it's not always right in your face right so yeah that's that that feels like almost like a more like almost a sunk cost at that point like it's it's yeah. like you have such a specialized set of like knowledge and skills you know what i mean like it, it's it's hard to and i and i guess even just thinking about someone who a nurse who is thinking about maybe leaving the field like it's like do you feel like you're starting over at square one because what you i mean <laughs> like you know what i mean like it, nursing is so like you said so specific especially because um, you know, they doesn't they also have like the uh those seniority systems and stuff and it's like do you really want to leave that exactly like you've already put that time in exactly yeah yeah um what have been some of the biggest obstacles that you've faced uh so far throughout your career i think sometimes what's been like a an obstacle it 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 does get better for sure as you kind of get further along but i think in some in some ways it would be uh opportunity or having the same access to opportunity um especially within like communications and marketing um if, if those who know anything about the industry it can be very homogenous across the board in all aspects of it whether from the marketing side to the pr side yeah. and so having those same access to opportunity um is definitely something that I think can really, even just like one internship can kind of really change your, traje your uh, trajectory completely. So that was something that when I initially was kind of getting into it, um, I found a bit of a challenge again, just kind of getting your foot in the door. Um, and so the way I kind of overcame that was I kind of had, I had two internships uh, in, again, in my junior and my senior year that were marketing related. And so those definitely helped a bit. Um, but I know that when I was applying for those internships, for example, it was really kind of hard to just even get like, you know, get an interview or, uh, or when you get there, you maybe not seem like, you know, you may not be as deemed a cultural fit or whatever that, mm -hmm. what that is. And also, I think in many cases in, on, in the marketing field, a lot of times the internships or the uh, positions, they're not always um, exposed to the public in like the creative spaces. And so in my cases, like, in my case, like one of my internships, I remember I heard about it through a friend, but, I remember, but it was a thing where it's like I did not see it anywhere on any traditional job board. And so I've, I've found that even now, like there's some times whereby, um, again, roles in, in that field, especially in the creative field, which is, which is kind of, you know, intertwined with marketing. A lot of times it can become about who you know. So this is, again, where having access and opportunity becomes very vital just because, again, um, the playing field is not always leveled in many ways, as opposed to and I won't say there's really any perfect industry, but I do think that there are industries that where 
it, you do have a bit of a better shot, um, especially with certain, with certain, um, let's say certain uh, degrees, for example, whereby you'll have like a co-op, you know, that is like hey. uh, really built into your program where I find that sometimes in, if you are in like a social science program or even some business program, sometimes it can be a bit more, hey, go out and find it on your own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. like especially I, and I, when you say co-op, I immediately think engineering um, yeah. where, yeah, it's built into your curriculum. And you know what's crazy is you said one internship can really change your whole trajectory. Um, and I am definitely proof of that. Right. And like and even the way that I found mine, I didn't find it publicly. A professor who I was, I was her grad assistant. She told me about it. You know what I mean? Like, had she not taken the 10 seconds out of her day to be like, you know what? I should tell Jay about this thing. I think he'd be good at it. I would have never known. And like, you know, like that internship is why I got like most of the jobs I've gotten since I did that yeah. internship. Like, absolutely. I hear where you're coming from. Um, have you had mentors throughout your career? Yeah. I mean, I think not even just career, but also even just throughout life. Yeah. I think I've definitely had, uh, I've had people who have just uh, a certain interaction with them has sort of changed again, my life path as far as what I decided to do. Mm. So even going back to, going back to, for example, um, when I was in eighth grade, when I was prior to going to the art school, if it wasn't for that music teacher, I would not have gone to that school. And I definitely do think I would have had a completely different, I don't know exactly, I always think back if I did not go to that school, I don't know where I would be in life. I I often say that and I strongly believe that just because I do think that did shape a lot of the person that I am now. Mm. And so if I had went to a very traditional high school, I do question what the outcome would have been. Yeah. And then the second time that happened was also in, the 11th grade when uh again i was in the 11th grade and then i had it was i had a teacher uh i had a black teacher not that many black teachers throughout um you know there's not that many i didn't have many actually same <laughs> not, i didn't have many and so i was in the english class one time and my uh my teacher she was just asking me she was like oh like she's a kareem you write so well um but she like kind of looked at my Cause she saw that I was a transfer into her, into her, um, her program. Oh, sorry. Into her, into her class. And that was like a university prep class. And then, so she asked me and she was like, I'm looking at, you know, your other, your classes prior to grade 11 and it seemed like you were in like, either they put you in a different class. And at that time, you know, you're young and impressionable. You're not even really, you're not even, at the time I wasn't even really aware that I was being like put into a system just based on the fact that I was uh, like, you know, a black student in some ways. Yeah whereby like some of the recommendations that my middle school teachers affected. We had this thing in Ontario whereby it's like, a, which they've recently kind of, uh, I guess you could say abolished, which is a system whereby they place you, your middle school teachers will kind of place you into uh, the courses that you're taking in, um, in, in high school. Yeah. And so I had uh, some middle school teachers that had placed me in these like lower prep classes or, or what have you. And when I was in high school, I didn't really realize, I think that, but I remember being in those classes sometimes and being like, why do I feel like this stuff is like so easy? Like this is yeah. just messed up. And 
so I, I so yeah I took her course and then she was kind of so when she said that to me when I was like you know you write so well like how come you were in xyz class before I was like oh I don't know like my teachers in like eighth grade kind of put me into that and I kind of just went with it and I remember she said she asked me and sat me down and was like okay so like what do you want to do like after because you know 12th grade is next year what do you want to do after school and I was like oh well I want to go to university and then she was telling me and as she told me at that point she was like well if you want to go to university you actually need to transfer out of all of those courses and get like a whole bunch of credits like I didn't even know I didn't even know that was the situation at the time that that was kind of what was happening and I was like oh wow and so she was like yeah you'll probably have to take summer school and so that was the situation when when she did give me that information I had to really kind of sit with it and be like, because, you know, any any high schooler is like, I don't want to do summer school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the immediate reaction. Right? I was like, summer school? You're talking, you're talking to me this like, and she told me this like maybe in April and the school year ends in June. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you want me to stay in more school for the summer? <laughs> and so, but I just, I made that decision to, you know, take a whole bunch of like courses and transfers so that I could kind of take them. I kind of transfer, get enough, you know, university prep classes so that I could apply for whatever you need to apply to. Right. So if I didn't meet her and she's now passed away, which is why, so I do kind of keep, keep that memory really dear. But if, like, yeah. if I didn't meet her, I wouldn't have went to university most likely, or at least I would have had a much more delayed um, realization in terms of, oh, wow, I actually need to go and fix this mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but now professionally, I do have some mentors as so I have like someone that I speak to on a regular basis, usually every month. Mm-hmm. And they also work in marketing at um, like a large tech company. And so I usually speak to that person to kind of get some just overall advice in terms of from things about, you know, managing teams to things about, uh, you know, imposter syndrome, things like that. Mm-hmm. That was something that I've dealt with before at many times. And so, yeah, mentors and people like that, I think definitely do kind of really, really important having a mentor. It's also really good to have a, a sponsor as well. Mm. In addition to that, someone that can speak on your behalf when you're not in the room, who usually has a seat at the table making decisions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those have been very crucial for for my life. Yeah, that's interesting. The idea of sponsor versus mentor. So how, how does one find, well, first of all, I assume that there's, and I, I've had this conversation with someone else on a different episode. I'm pretty sure it came up and it's like, you don't go looking for a sponsor in the same way that you might not go looking for a mentor, right? Like sometimes they just pop up and sometimes they're just organic, spontaneous, whatever the case is. But I guess in, in the case that you don't know if you have a sponsor, but you suspect you might, how, how, like, you know, how do you sort of identify the type of person who you, who you would want to be that sponsor figure for you? You know what I mean? Like, are there specific sort of personality markers or just maybe the way they act, the way they talk, you know, that sort of thing. Like, how do you sort of identify that person? Mm-hmm. I think in some ways I'm definitely still identifying that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but from what I can say, just from the th- things that I've seen, it would be someone that 
I guess just have qualities that are similar to a mentor um, that, but someone that has qualities that are similar to a mentor, whether it's things that you kind of want to learn from, or, you know, have, a, has a certain amount of experience or there's a, or there's a, tra a trait that you really admire about the person. But I also think where there's a bit of a difference is someone that also will wants to see you win and wants to champion your successes and um, really wants to really wants to do that for you, that kind of advocacy for you, not necessarily in a very transactional way, but in a very organic way. And so if you can find someone like that, um, and it doesn't have to be someone within your organization, it could be someone from outside, et cetera just someone who wants to see you win and can kind of really guide you on that, on those tools. Usually someone also a bit more seasoned um, and whether it's experience or age, depending on what, you know, your overall goals are, I do think that's where it comes in. Um, that's, that's typically where I kind of look at, you know, the difference between having a sponsor or having a mentor. Because at, at that point also, I find sponsors usually many times they're at a, usually at a stage whereby they're, they really want to give back. Yeah. A lot of what they're doing for you, whether it's that, that advocacy is very selfless. Like they don't really get anything out of it, um, at least not in a transactional way. And so it shouldn't, it never feels like, like you're begging someone to get you to the table. They kind of yeah. just doing it organic again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, I'm only going to ask you like one, maybe two questions about um, the work you do right now. Um, and the first would be, can you give me an idea of, so, and I know earlier you mentioned uh, specifically like new business um, branding for the office itself, but can you give me an idea of some of the sorts of, or some of the types of projects that come across your desk? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so there's obviously the things on the back end. So it's a lot of, a lot of times it's creating content, not necessarily being the person to create the content, but like I kind of will oversee it okay. and then we'll have other players in that who, I, I think in some ways, what, what's, I really enjoy most is a, there's a lot of creative direction. Mm -hmm. Um, so you often hear the role of like a creative director. And in some ways, that's kind of what I've been able to do. And um, is more so we might have a vision as a, as a team or as an office and I'll kind of help with putting that together. So like finding the right people to, for writing an article, for example, on, um, I don't know, the medical industry or coronavirus or something like that. And it'll be a situation whereby I will kind of have a, a leadership team meeting. We'll have, we'll have a meeting about that. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be like, okay, let's go and find the right people to interview for this piece. And then, you know, kind of finding, you kind of learn like how to create good content, but not necessarily being the one creating the content at this stage where I've had to do that in like other roles before. Um, there's a lot more people that are there to help, I think, which is what it is a bit different for sure. And so it'll be like, okay, let's, let's pull in this expert on our team. He's worked with like tons of healthcare clients or, you know, one of our directors, she's had many projects with many other clients who are also in this space. Let's have an interview with them and just ask them about their project work. Right. And so from there, we'll kind of maybe put together a bit of a content plan together. 
um, similar to like what we're doing right now, like just having a conversation. And then from there, we'll kind of, you know, do a written piece about it or something like that. So that's one aspect. There's also things that I do on the bit of the back end. So these are things like looking at our competitive advantage to other big four firms. And so that's things like um, just making sure that, you know, our competitive advantage is still very strong while not trying to imitate, but, but you know, you still want to have your own um, unique distinction. But just again, making sure that we're competing really strong as, as well, which kind of ties into SEO. Mm -hmm. And so I work with our SEO specialists and, you know, her and I, we kind of work together on a lot of our Google AdWords on, on the back end, things like that as well. Gotcha. And then more recently too, uh, I also have the opportunities to work with the larger parent companies to work with, to work with Iris, you know, and so I usually will, on a weekly basis, I usually will kind of uh, meet with our, you know, Jill Smith, who's the CMO of Iris. And so we'll talk about joint opportunities that we can maybe, you know, utilizing Iris, the other, um, you know, resources across the network. Mm -hmm. And maybe think if we can get some, not just, not even, not even necessarily marketing specific uh, initiatives, but seeing if we can get some client work, you know, for the consultants in our office or, if it is marketing specific, sometimes it's like, if we write a really, we had a really good, uh, we wrote a think piece back in the fall um, about the European Premier League. And so we were able to get that uh, article picked up in like a sports press publication. Yeah. So we sometimes me speaking with whoever the PR director is there and seeing if we can have, again, those joint initiatives. And again, that's a situation where, you know, having a bit of an understanding of how PR works, um, it came in really handy, you know, even though now that it's a couple of years, you know, down the road. So, yeah, it's a lot of different things. It's kind of ever changing, um, but it's been, I think that's what's been the most fun thing about it too, is just, I'm learning a lot of new things and I'm having the experience to actually manage a bit more stuff as compared to before. And I think again, I'm also really supported with within our team um, and, you know, being able to kind of make some creative decisions, I think has also been really um, enjoyable for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to close out each episode, I ask everybody these same four questions. The first of which is, uh, what are you reading right now? Slash, <laughs> what is something you're consuming right now? Yeah, so one thing I was reading recently, and I actually just wrapped it up. Uh, well, it's actually more of an audiobook, but it's called uh, Bevelations by Bevy Smith. Hmm. Um, and so Bevy Smith, she is a uh, she's a former marketing executive at, from Vibe magazine. And so she kind of there was a lot of stuff in her story. It's, it was a bit of a memoir. And so there was a lot of stuff she talked about in her story that kind of, you know, as someone who, again, who's in marketing, it kind of, there's some things she talked about that allowed me to kind of reflect on, you know, certain experiences or just even like how you got to where you are, yeah, things of that nature. And so in the book, she kind of talks about um, her career trajectory, the different life obstacles that kind of got in the way. And like I said, also, you know, she was a former executive at, at, uh, at Vibe magazine. So she had a bit of a career pivot um, completely. Right now, she's like a TV personality. So she was like on, she's on Wendy Williams. She's on, uh, on uh, what is it, she's on Bravo. She's on uh, everything, basically. 
And so in that too, one of the things that she says now, because she's in her 50s, I believe. And so one of her mottos that she says in the book is it gets better later. And so she talks about that because when she made that pivot, you know, she was, uh, when she was a marketing executive, she was like, you know, going, she's traveling and living that very C-suite level life. And, you know, the, the financial rewards that come with that, the dinner parties and everything like that. And so when she kind of wanted to transition into entertainment, that's was a complete, you know, 360, uh, shift and so she had some that came with some pitfalls you know whereby she struggled financially a bit because she's no longer earning the same amount of money that she was earning at the time and so she kind of talks about how she navigates that too and um, some of the things that she also highlights are just the things that you kind of sweat about when you're very young in your career because mm -hmm. the span between when she was an executive to where she is now is like i would say roughly maybe 15 or so years and so some of those things that you sweat are some of those career decisions that you maybe um, can really, you know, beat yourself down about when you're a, a bit younger. She kind of, um, you know, will say that she realizes now in hindsight that those all kind of happened for a reason, which then it was a really cliche thing to say, but that kind of goes into her whole thing about things just do get better later. Um, so that was a really good book that I, I enjoyed listening to. And I definitely, especially because it's still very fresh, um, in something that I've engaged with, a lot of the the lessons are still um, very, uh, you know, planted in my mind. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, the, the people who are in that earlier phase definitely hate hearing that. But yeah. I will say, like, even me looking back, what is it, 2021? Looking back five years, just five years, it absolutely gets better later. And it's only five years. And I mean, like, there's, yeah, I mean, it's such a, a hard piece of advice to give, but very, always get it. it's right always away. true. You know what I mean? Um, what is something that's, that's been a challenge for you lately? Yeah. So I think, uh, two things. So like, I think professionally speaking, I think in some ways it's been learning to ask for help or like leverage others. Mm. So I think in some ways I was that person when I was in school, I didn't really enjoy group projects. So I was always kind of, a, I always had that mindset of like, no one can do it better than me or not even just that because I didn't like, I didn't like group projects because I would always be in groups where someone would drop the course. Of I was course. in a business course. I remember one time and it was a group of five. And I remember, uh, I think, was it three of our, our uh, group members dropped the course throughout the semester. <laughs> and it was just by the end of, it was a term, it was a term project. Yeah. By the end of it, it was just my friend and I, and I was like, you see, <laughs> this is why, <laughs> <laughs> this is why, <laughs> this is why I don't do this. I just let me just do it myself. Um, and even in my senior year, I had a similar experience with that. So I think when I started getting into like the workforce, um, that was something where I kind of was always just relying on myself because I was so used to kind of that disappointment. Mm -hmm. And so that's something where I've spoken to my mentor about even now, just in terms of uh, learning to ask for help or you know, there's people learning that there's people uh, around you that you work with that can help you with certain things. You don't have to take on all of the workload or you can like, you know, ask for help with certain things or, you know, you don't have to all do by yourself more, right. more or less. Right. And so I think that's one thing. Um, and then secondly, I think it's just I just want to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I just want to go outside. And I think, you know, here up in, in Ontario, we still have, we have, like, I believe the strictest lockdown at the moment still in North America. And it's not just like, it's not really necessarily a Canadian thing because other provinces are not as strict at the moment. But it's kind of weird when you're seeing like all of the other, uh, you know, states opening up, people are going to festivals in Europe and whatnot. <laughs> I hear Rolling Loud is coming back and, and all that <laughs> stuff. And you're just like, wow, I'm still in the house. We have a long weekend. And I was speaking to uh, someone on our team who's actually based in Atlanta. Mm. And she was like, ah, you have like a long weekend this weekend. She's like, are you going to do anything fun? And I was like, we can't do anything here. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing to do. There's nothing to do. Uh, so I think I miss like socialization and just talking to people and things like that. So those are the two things. Yeah. Well, what's something you've been really proud of? I think as cliche as it does sound, it's just like looking, I think 2020 allowed everyone had a lot of time to really just sit and think about stuff. And so I kind of analyzed a lot of aspects of my life and even to your point, um, looking at where you were like five years ago, I think that's something where I've been looking back and just being like, wow, I'm actually, I've actually accomplished quite a bit of stuff in, um, you know, the, how, whatever many years. And I think in many times in prior to COVID, I think a lot of times I was kind of just going through the motions. So mm -hmm. I was kind of just going through the days of, or, you know, whatever job or whatever company it was and then switching over and, not really sitting with that uh and so i think being i'm really proud of like a lot of what i've accomplished not just professionally but also personally as well i think i've really grown as a person yeah. and i've seen very uh i've seen how that has like you know been displayed in the, my relationships and my friendships uh with my family and stuff like that the 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 maturity that i've been able to kind of uh possess and yeah i think also, I th again, I think uh, being in sociology definitely helped me, especially in these last couple of years where every, there's a lot of, I guess, social and political unrest. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It allows me to really just be like, okay, this is why this is happening. I have a bit, I realize I have a bit more of a well-rounded approach to a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, those, those are the things for sure. Yeah. Um, what is a piece of advice you would give to, to someone who listens to your episode? Mm -hmm. So something I would say for sure, and I mentioned it earlier, is just to be adaptable. Um, be adaptable because I don't, in some ways, like I, where I am now, like I guess with, with what I, yeah, what, I, what I'm doing now professionally, I don't think, um, I didn't necessarily see that a couple of years ago. Uh, as far as like, with the, the different types of experiences I had. And things don't always go as you kind of plan or foresee it. And yeah. so I remember when I, you know, first finishing school and stuff like that. And I was, I knew like, you know, that finding a job after university could be a little challenging, but I don't think I realized just like how challenging it could be at times mm -hmm. or how competitive things can be. Um, so I think learning to, you know, uh, be adaptable, find those, you know, again, it gets better later, right? So sometimes you have to go through certain doors just to kind of get to certain places, which again is something that can be difficult to kind of understand when you, you know, you're in that moment, for example, where you're searching, that's not what you want, what, that's not really what you want to hear, mm -hmm. but it, 
is it does turn out to be quite true and you typically will appreciate it uh, along the lines of it later for sure yeah absolutely um did we leave anything out today no i was gonna say the last thing i was gonna also mention too as like something to uh what i'd like someone to like i guess take with it is that to surround yourself with people who ground you and who also champion for you so that kind of goes back into the whole sponsor thing so it doesn't even need to be professional this is i'm just talking like on a personal level like even within like your your circle of friends having friends that uh can keep you grounded uh as far as like you know giving you honest feedback not in a malicious way or anything like that but just kind of giving you honest uh really great advice but who also want to see you win and kind of champion your successes and you know you grow and they grow at the same time i find that those have been like really fruitful um for me for sure so that's something else i wanted to just throw in there before we wrap up absolutely that, that's great advice um where can people find you online uh you can find me on on netflix just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no, no 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 you can find me on uh on linkedin uh so kareem uh, fuller and uh yeah you can find me on there so feel free to connect more than <laughs> yeah well that is a wrap uh for this episode of pay it forward so thank you again kareem for joining me um and to anyone who who listens you know please rate like review subscribe whatever you do to podcast um and you can find out more about the podcast in general at pay it forward podcast on all social channels um at pay it forward or not at www.paidforpodcast.com. Um, and the forward is FWD. Peace.